0: So we're in the season of Lent, and uh, for most people, when you say that, um, they think, oh, this is a time to be sad. You know, it's Lent, we have got to give up stuff, and, and uh, all that sort of thing. I was reading a devotional book last week. And the guy was talking about it, and he said, "Man, we ought to be celebrating it. But it's the one holiday, or it's the one holy day, that hasn't become commercialized." Is the point he was making. So, when was the last time you saw a card that said "Happy Lent," <laughs> <laughs> "Merry Fasting," <laughs> "Joyful Repentance"? <laughs> you know, is that kind of thing, and they haven't commercialized it. So, for that reason alone, it's an important holiday an important holy day. And uh, G.K. Chesterton said, it's a funny thing, the way God has worked it, that all of God's holy days turns out to be holidays for us because we're celebrating what God has done and we're rejoicing in the gifts that he's given. Sometimes, however, you know, we get the idea that... um, we're having to give up all this stuff and everything. And we focus on that and forget about the celebration that's involved in that. It's like a person weighed down with a tremendous load of sin and shame and guilt and fear and despair. And they're just, they're just so, it's just so heavy they can't hardly hold it. And somebody comes along and starts saying, oh man, let me help you. And they start taking these things off. That's what Lent is for. It's a time of repentance, confession of our sin, changing in our behavior. But it's not a, a dreary, oh, woe is me, look at what I'm having to sacrifice. What it is is Christ is setting me free and the burden is getting lighter. And there's joy because of the freedom and the liberty of the sons and daughters of God. Now, one of the, one of the issues that comes up as we look at it that way is that um, God tells us something and we interpreted it according to our own ideas. So let me give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 40, and this is the message that John the Baptist had, here's the context for it. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That's good news. In our helplessness, in our loneliness, in our despair, God speaks a word of hope. And so he says he's sending forth his messengers not to condemn, not to accuse, but to comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. She didn't pay that price, Jerusalem. That was paid by God. A voice of one calling In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the text that John used to define what he was doing. One of the things that the Jews were coming uh, out to see John for is they wanted to check him out. They wanted to see, um, is this guy just a kook? Or is he a legitimate man of God? And they saw him, uh, first of all, as a radical difference than what they were used to. And they wanted to check it out because some of the Jews uh, had a genuine hunger and thirst for God. And here was somebody that was offering a viable, alive alternative to the deadness of their religious practices. And that's something to to go out to see. Something that's alive when all around you is dead. And so that's what they were coming. But they were also wanting to check him out because some of them saw John as a threat if they go out to see John, maybe they're not going to be in the synagogue. You know. Now that never happened. He encouraged them in that. but um, So he encouraged them in their walk with the Lord. But they were afraid of that, so they wanted to check it out. And the other thing is that uh, even in the church, it's a, a shock to some people, but when you stop and think that the church is made up of people that shouldn't be, um, there are big egos in the church and reputations and people that are, have power uh, hungers within in the church. And so you've got those kinds of issues going on, and so these Jews are coming to check it out because here's, here's a rival, and so they're wanting to know. So here John comes, and he quotes from Isaiah here. He's preaching a baptism of repentance, a change in lifestyle, the change in lifestyle doesn't start by changing our habits. That doesn't start there; it starts by a change in the heart. Um, if we start by changing the habits, uh, we'll get tired after a while and we'll we'll quit. You know, it's like uh, New Year's resolutions. You know, the intentions there and the desires there to a degree, but uh, you know, I don't really want to do that, and so you never end up doing it. So, New Year's resolutions, they last maybe a week or a month or two if you have a real strong will. And then then it fades away and you get ready for next year. (laughs) So, it's not like that. The true repentance that John was talking about, this is what Philip was pointing out, is that it's a change from within. And what happens when you change within, then that affects everything you do outwardly. What you are inside affects how you relate to other people in every area of our life. So whatever we're filled with is going to come out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you want to know what's going on in a person's heart? Listen to to their words. Uh So that'll tell you. It's a proclamation of what's going on in the heart. And so he says, he was... He's being called, the reason John has come, this prophet, the first one in 400 years, the reason he has come is to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight paths for him. So what does that mean? How do you do that? Isaiah chapter 57 gives us some insight on this. And it's a very powerful passage It's the the focal point of the whole book of Isaiah. This is the theme right here, starting with verse 14. And it will be said, Build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse forever, nor will I always be angry. And then he says in verse 18, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him. Remember, comfort ye. Comfort ye my people. This is a different comfort. Creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel. Peace. Peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. That's the first proclamation that we have in the New Testament when the angels came bearing the message that Christ was going to be born. Peace is what they came to give. And one of the characteristics of our day and our culture in which we live is there's materialism, there's technology, there's power, there's wealth, there's all these different kinds of things that are supposed to make life more enriched and beneficial and they're all empty and they don't give peace. And you can have all of those things and all of those um, respect and reverence and all the other kinds of stuff and there's no peace. So he's saying, prepare the way for the Lord. That's the comfort that he's offering. That's the comfort that God wants to impart. It's not coming along and patting you on the back and say, well, well, it's going to be all right. You're okay just like you are. You don't have to change anything. No, that's not it. It's a challenge. It's a confrontational comfort. Uh, The comfort is for those who open their hearts and receive what God has given. So prepare the way. That's the comfort. The comfort is prepare the way because the Lord... Himself is about to act. So how do we prepare the way? Well, Isaiah's just told us there in verse 16. Build up the road. How do you do that? Remove the obstacles out of the way of the people. Okay. He's going to take those things that cause obstacles. Another name for for obstacle is stumbling block. The thing that causes us to fall. Um, Hebrews says calls it the sin that so easily entangles us. And we all have them, all of us, because we're all people. And we all have areas of temptation. They may be different from person to person, and they are different from person to person. But we all have them. And so the comfort is God has come to deal with those things, those stumbling blocks, those things that cause us to fall, those things who make us less than what God created us to be. So that's good news. Uh, What kind of obstacle is he talking about? In the book of Ezekiel, he gives us a couple of insights. These are just some examples. In chapter 7, verse 19, Ezekiel chapter 7. That's a pretty tough chapter. Um, This is when God is telling Jerusalem they are going to be destroyed. And as you go through that, one word that he keeps repeating is, the end has come. (laughs) That's it, you're finished. So in verse 19 though, when God's judgment upon the earth, they will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will be an unclean thing. Their silver and gold will not be able to save them in the day of the Lord's wrath. They will not satisfy their hunger Or fill their stomachs with it. For it has made them stumble into sin. One of the stumbling blocks. They They were proud of their beautiful jewelry. And used it to make their detestable idols and vile images. Therefore I will turn these into an unclean thing for them. I will hand it all over as plunder to foreigners. And loot to the wicked of the earth. And they will defile it. I will turn my face away from them. And they will desecrate my treasured place. Robbers will enter it and desecrate it. And so he's saying one of the things that caused them to stumble was their silver and their gold. And it wasn't anything wrong with the silver, and there wasn't anything wrong with the gold. It's what they did with it that made them stumble. Uh, Nothing wrong with wealth. Uh, It's how you use it, how you got it, and how you use it. That's the things about wealth. So he says what they did with it was they created things that caused them to stumble. They created idols, things that they loved and worshipped more than they worshipped God. And that was the problem. Ezekiel later on in chapter 14 lets us know a couple of other things that were stumbling blocks. Chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. Son of man, these men, these are the elders of the house of Israel now. These are... Um, the spiritual leaders son of man these men have set up idols in their heart and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces should I let them inquire of me at all therefore speak to them and tell them this is what the sovereign Lord says when any Israelite sets up an idol in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet I the Lord will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for idols so he's talking now about setting up idols uh, and we could say well you know we don't have any chunks of wood up here or there's no big stone edifice here there's no precious jewels over this thing that we're all bowing down to and burning incense to we don't have all that stuff He's talking about now setting up idols in our heart. Anything that comes between us and God. So are you as close to God as you ever hope to be right now? And if you say no, then the question comes, why not? Anything that prevents that or hinders that is an idol. That's what an idol is. Anything that prevents us from us being close to the Lord as we want. One of the things in the church uh, and among us as Christian people is we become satisfied. We enter in to a relationship with God. We get to know who He is and then we stop and we fail to develop that and get to really know Him. It's like introducing yourself to somebody for the first time and you know who they are and you recognize them and you know their name and that's it. That's the end of it. Well, you don't have much of a relationship. You don't really know that person. That person really doesn't know you. You're not going to sit down and share your innermost thoughts with that person. They're an acquaintance. And many of us, as Christian people, have an acquaintance with God. And we don't really press on to know him. And that's what the book of Hosea is all about. Let us press on. Let us press on to know him. And the thing is, we're like people who live on a tiny, tiny little island and we think that's all there is. And we don't know that there is unexplored continents massive beyond our wildest dreams because all we know is this little island. And most of us are living on a little island in our spiritual life. And God is saying, I've got this whole creation out here for you. Get off the little island. Come and Come and see and discover who he is. It's an invitation to come. So, um, when we put our wicked stumbling blocks before his face, God says that he will answer us and cut them off from among his people. So, here comes John the Baptist. Quoting from Isaiah in Luke chapter 3, which is what Philip was sharing with us this morning. Quoting from Isaiah, prepare the way for the Lord. How do we prepare repentance and forgiveness? First step. Repentance and forgiveness. No forgiveness without repentance. Repentance and forgiveness. And then people began to say, okay, well, what does that look like? When we repent, God forgives us. How should we live then? What are we supposed to do? And as Philip was sharing with us this morning, they were asking good questions. They were asking the right questions. If we repent and receive forgiveness, then what? What does that look like? How do we put that in practice? And so the fruit, meat for repentance, he tells us. Share your food and clothing. Don't be grasping, don't cheat one another, don't abuse power and authority, be content with what you have. Now these are things that we all understand, isn't it? Um, You know, there's, as people are fasting today, it's a good reminder because about 90% of the world's population today will go to bed hungry. And it's not because food is not available in the world. Uh, the world has plenty of food to feed everybody. So why do 90% of the people in the world go to bed hungry? Well, we don't have to look far for that either. It happens here in our own country, in our own community. There will people be in in Uvalde today that will go to bed hungry. There will be people in Uvalde today that live off of the garbage that we throw away so the problem is that people don't share and so repentance means being aware that there are needs for other people than ourselves we've become very selfish even in the church Um, when we lived in South Africa it was a a devastating thing for me Uh, the largest landowner in the whole country of South Africa is the government The second, almost equal to that, is the church. They own most of the land, most of the best land in the whole country. And uh, uh, I helped, I I team taught with a guy uh, on church and land in a master's program down there. And we got to talking to to some of the students and got to looking around, and uh, it was an incredible thing. The best, most productive land was owned by the church And um, they weren't doing anything with it. But they wouldn't let anybody else use it because it belonged to the church. And they were just sitting on it. Uh, Fortunately, there are some very, very gifted men uh, beginning to be in high places in the church that are addressing that situation and coming up with very creative ways to incorporate um, people coming in and working the land and sharing it with the church. So there, you know, people are doing things about that, and that's a positive thing. But that's the kind of thing that we're looking at here. Now the main thing that uh, John did was he called people to this, but this was not the end of it. This was just the preparation. And if we think that the, the, the repentance within and the social or community activity is the end of it, that's just, that's just the, the clearing away of the obstacles. The main focus is coming, and that's what John said. Um, People were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. This is a word from God from this man, and those who were searching with open hearts, their spirit bore witness to that. Whenever that happens, it creates life. And they're responding to that, and they're saying, maybe there's more. And John said, yeah, there's more, but it's not me. (laughs) I'm just getting ready because the one for all this preparation is coming. And that's what happened in the Gospel of John. John says, I myself knew that I was here to call to prepare the way for him. I myself didn't know him, but the Lord told me how I could recognize him. And Jesus shows up and asks to be baptized and John says, that's him. Because the Spirit of God showed him, revealed that to him. So John chapter 1 verse 31, he says, he, he saw Jesus one day and he told his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who gives us the ability and the strength to repent. He's the one who provides the forgiveness and the cleansing. He's the one who can deliver us from our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he says in verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And he goes on and he says in verse 33, I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have seen and I testify, this is the Son of God. And the next day, he says it again, look, the Lamb of God. So this was revealed to him. You remember uh, Peter's confession there at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus is asking them, who do you people say that I am? And Peter comes up and he says, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You'll never find it by searching that way. But the Spirit of God revealed that to your heart, just like John. On the road to Emmaus, you had two disciples who were walking along discouraged, defeated, uh, confused, fearful, perplexed, didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to, how to respond. Um, disillusioned and disappointed. Everything that they had hoped in ashes. And the stranger comes up and starts talking to them. It's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And it was only when they sat down for the evening meal in their home that their eyes were opened. Uh, it, wasn't, it was an aha moment, but it wasn't because they figured it out or they discovered who he was, it was because God revealed himself to them. And then they knew. And that's how any of us ever know, is if God reveals it to us. So in Hebrews chapter 12, he's talking about the same thing that John does. The book of Hebrews written to Christian people now. John was talking to unbelievers people who didn't know who Jesus was. But the book of Hebrews is written to Christians. And this is what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the testimony, the witness of the Old Testament. He's talking about the testimony, the witness of the apostles in the New Testament. They're talking about the witness and the testimony of 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians who were slaughtered last week because they were Christians. They died singing praises to God. Let us throw off everything that, in, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How can we do that? These sins, these obstacles, these things that so easily entangle us. He tells us in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such oppression from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so he continues and tells us to endure hardship as a discipline from God because God is treating us as his sons who he's wanting to encourage and help and help them to be everything that he created them to be, taking off from them the things that would stand in the way. And so he says in verse 13... Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And that's the hope that we have. When we walk with the Lord, there's no occasion of stumbling. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9. And he's talking about the remnant of Israel coming back. He says, They will come with weeping. That's the repentance. They will pray as I bring them back. That's the confession. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. Because I am Israel's father, Ephraim is my firstborn son. And John, writing to the church later on in 1 John, says, Behold, what kind of awesome love the Father has given to us that we might be called His children. And He doesn't play stumbling blocks. He makes it plain for us, and as we walk, instead of being hurt, we are healed as we walk. So it's like the person who is not able to walk, and they got a lot of pain, excruciating pain, So they got crutches and stuff and they could just barely put their foot on the ground and it's just excruciating pain. And as they're walking along this path, all of a sudden, the pain is less. And as the the temptation is to stop, to sit down, I can't go any further. But the Lord is there encouraging us and says, uh, the call is to follow. And so as we follow... What happens as we follow the way He directs us, there's healing that's taking place. It's a step-by-step healing. And after a while, then we don't need the crutches anymore. And then the strength comes, and then He renews our strength like the eagles and like the youth. So that's the hope and that's the promise. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. It's drawing close to Jesus, keeping our eyes, focusing on Him. First we look to Him, we receive His cleansing, His forgiveness, His wholeness, His life. And then because we have received, then we're able to share what God has blessed us with. And He invites us. uh, Sometimes we look at it as a command and a challenge. And it's not that, it's an invitation. The invitation is, freely you've received, freely give. The more you give away, the more you're going to have to give away. And the idea is not to possess and get more. The idea is to begin to walk with Christ and know the joy of giving to others. And so he says that the Holy Spirit will be like a stream of living waters flowing out from within. It's not a lake. A lake, if it doesn't have anything going out, uh, and is it, going to die. That's what's happening to the Dead Sea right now. Uh, what's being taken out is more than what's coming in, and it's, and it's dying. And there's no outflow, so it's, that's why it's a dead sea. It's living waters is waters that is moving. And it's got a source that's fresh and clean, and it's flowing through it. And Jesus says that's what each one of us should be. We should be a river where streams of living waters are coming out through us, and it's not coming from us. We're just the channel, the conduit, uh, the riverbed. The source is the presence of the living Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning thanking you and praising you For the tremendous message, the liberating freedom-inspired message of comfort from you. And the command that by your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the blood of Christ to our lives, we can be set free. That the obstacles, the stumbling blocks in our path can be removed this morning. And we can come to know you in a deeper, closer way. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has come for that very purpose. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit to enable that to be a reality within our hearts today in this present world as we fix our eyes upon you. We just pray, Father, that you would help us to see anew and afresh the hope and the joy and the peace that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.